Perfect. I'm going to pray, and then we'll just start at Tom, and then go clockwise and read a verse. And just remember to speak loudly, because every all the audio is captured on here. And so for people who um, listen later, they can hear what you're saying. So let me pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for this night, Lord. We thank you for the flexibility that we have as a house church to talk about things that need to change and ways we need to pivot. Lord, we just hand over all our kids' church stuff to you. I pray that you would give us inspiration and peace and wisdom and resources, Lord, so that we can continue to empower our families to disciple their children and to encourage each other and come alongside each other as we try to strategically intentionally build a multi-generational church and create um, intergenerational discipleship and relationship. God, we are so grateful for um, just everything that you have done, and we're thankful for just who you are and this opportunity that we can gather, and this is church, and this is, these are our people, these are our community, and we just praise you for that. Jesus, I pray that you would bless this time as we learn together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, Tom, can you start at verse 9, 35, read 1, and we'll go clockwise. Okay. Uh, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Okay. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And so we're going to talk, we're going to walk through this because this is actually a really well-known scripture and um, it's really interesting because it's one thing like for me as like being bivocational, I only have so much time to like sit down and study and write and everything like that. And I feel like this, the past couple of days, the Lord has been so kind to kind of um, just give me like just affirmation of the things that I have known and felt in my heart in relation to the scripture and I was writing it out and so I'm just going to kind of walk through this set and then um, kind of uh, we're going to have questions like we usually have so the first verse I want us to focus on is how Jesus it says Jesus went through all the town and villages teaching uh, teaching in the synagogues proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and um, illness and so in this singular verse we have essentially the three-part system that Jesus takes when he goes into the world. Is that he was a preacher, he was a teacher, and he was a healer. So he went out into the towns and he taught. He went out into the towns and he preached. And he went out into the town and we, he, he healed. And so I think if that is the route in which Jesus chooses to live his life, then one of the things that we need to consider is how do, how do we become preachers of the word how do we become teachers of the word? And how do we become healers? Like how do we pray and believe for God to impart healing into the lives of people, those who are sick and those who are afflicted? And so I'm going to kind of break down those three parts, which is first we're going to focus on healer and then, te- or sorry, preacher, then teacher, and then healer. So this idea of um, Jesus as a preacher it was as if he is a herald and what a herald did in the kingdom is they would go out and they would proclaim the news of the king so if it was like an update they would go out and they would announce it and that's how the people would know the decrees of the king of the nation and jesus functions in this way as a preacher as a herald because he went forth he went out and he proclaimed the good news 
of the gospel. He proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God. He proclaimed and explained what they could expect and but what made Jesus so incredibly unique and what should keep it like kind of make us stand apart is that Jesus preached the good news, but when he preached the good news, when he proclaimed the good news, when he was a herald for the good news, it was that he was certain of the good news. But certainty makes people uncomfortable. We will live a life where we make people uncomfortable because what we teach is very certain. And so Jesus goes out as this preacher. And then he also goes out as a teacher. And this is the thing that I love about the person of who Jesus is, is I think everything that we have called out to be like these amazing memories and qualities of the teachers that we have had is like now embody that into the very person of Jesus, known as the great teacher, that he was patient and kind, compassionate, intentional but the way like Martha talked about it a couple weeks ago is that the way that the Lord speaks to her because how he made her is very different than the way that he speaks to me which echoes on what Rebecca said is that the teacher is able to know the way that you best learn and teach you accordingly so Jesus goes out and he teaches he teaches in the in public spaces but what's so is incredibly unique is that he also is teaching in religious spaces that him teaching people about the kingdom of God was not reserved for religious spaces like synagogues but he went out into the world and he taught there it is Jesus goes out and he teaches them about the kingdom of God but one of the things about a great teacher is that they take the time to explain it in a way that is understandable so when Jesus is teaching the crowds he, you'll notice that he uses agricultural terms. Thing that I want to stop and I wanted to take this moment is that one of the things that I hear a ton about why people do not disciple other people, Christians don't disciple and they rely on professional pastors to disciple peoples. I don't know enough so I can't teach them anything. But I can tell you that you know more than somebody who knows nothing about faith. And if it is just that you are not a perfect human being and Jesus loves you anyways, you have just been, and you live that out and you love them accordingly and you show them by the way that you live, you are teaching them this incredible kingdom principle. And so we are all called to preach and proclaim. We are all called to teach, to embody those parts of the people that have taught us so well, to embody this personhood of Jesus in the way that we are compassionate, intentional, caring. So he goes and he does that. And then the last thing is that he heals. And this was really hard for me to kind of swallow in, in learning about like the threefold of Jesus's ministry of preaching, teaching, and healing because Jesus guts and we, but healing was a regular part of Jesus's ministry and sometimes I think about the people that I have the incredible pleasure of knowing in all different arenas of my life and the healing that they need is not physical as much as it is emotional mental spiritual and I know I can participate in that kingdom work by loving them well 
if they are needing healing for them their experience with Christians, I know that I can try to love them well. If they need healing and acceptance in this season of their wrestling, I can be a tool, God's tool. I could be a vessel to bring hope and light and truth. But we must never forget that healing is a part of what Jesus did because he met this practical need. You see all these stories that we just walked through, Jesus' miracles, where he healed these these desperate measures, these needs. Because he saw it, he healed it because he could. He saw a need and he met it because he could. And I think we can learn a lot about that as a church, that we can see a need and we can meet it because we could. And then it's not about us. It's not about our gathering. It's not about our brand. It's not about any of that. It's about because we know who Jesus is and we want to live a life of compassion and kindness and intentionality. And I think sometimes we make our faith very complicated because we stray away from the fact that what Jesus did was he preached, he taught, and he healed. And then that was just for verse the first verse. Mm-hmm. The second verse. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like a sheep without a shepherd. And why... This stuck out to me is because when we hear, okay, so what do you think, like, immediately, like, your idea, you hear, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. What do you think that actually meant? Like, what, how would you interpret having compassion look like? Does that make sense? When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. What do you think that actually, like, he felt bad for them? He was like, oh, bummer. He wanted to meet their needs. Wanted to meet their needs. The message Bible that I'm holding it says that his heart broke. His heart so broke. So he was like emotionally impacted. He was emotionally impacted. If you were to see somebody and have compassion. For them, what does that actually look like to have compassion for someone? <coughs> Not a trick question. <laughs> but it kind of makes you think, right? You're like, uh, I think I, you know, compassion when you see someone's brokenness and you want you know, or, or they need like physical healing. Like you, you're, you have a desire to like, that it would be better that they could have the things they need. Just like when you saw a homeless person, you would desire them to have the things they need. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think the word desire is everything. Anything like a desire to intercede for them or something like that. Mm -hmm. The Greek word and kind of what it what like to say that he had compassion on them in the context that it it is is that it says to the very core of who he was, like his gut reaction, the heartbrokenness, the grief, the sadness, that it wasn't just like, Oh, that's an unfortunate circumstance. I feel bad. But it is like a wrecking of 
his inner core as he saw these people who were harassed and helpless. And then he uses the illustration like a sheep without a shepherd. Because <coughs> it goes back to being this incredible teacher who is using language and analogies and communicating in a way that the people understood. Because there were a whole lot of shepherds. I don't know about you. We live in farmland, but I don't know a single shepherd. <laughs> you don't know any farmers? I do not. I They are not shepherding any sheep. Mm, I know farmers. I know farmers, but I can't think of a single shepherd. Ooh, Sally Postma. She has sheep. She has sheep? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Boom. We know a Sally Postma who has some sheep. But do you think... But this moving to the core of who he is, this wrecking on the inside is not just, oh, he felt bad for them. But as if his heart, like, it broke for them. It grieved for them because they were harassed. They were mistreated. They were helpless. So who were the they? It was the people around him. It was the people who were in bondage by the religious people's rules and regulation. It was the people who were misled and not cared for because the job of a shepherd is to protect their sheep. So the shepherd led the sheep and they were not being led, but they were being harmed and they were being hurt. And the thing was that they couldn't defend themselves. So it was as if they were withstanding this abuse from the people who should be leading them, which were the religious people of the day. But instead of protecting, they were crushing the people with an <coughs> impossible religious expectation because they believed that if everyone just had their crap together, then the Messiah would come back. So they were constantly regulating on people. So we had like a couple weeks ago, we talked about like how Jesus was having uh, dinner with Matthew and the religious people are then like, hey, what are you doing? Hanging out with sinners. When they cast the naked woman in front of Jesus, just her, not the person she was in, engaging with, just her. You have to think they were watching this entire thing transpire, but instead of helping and saying, this isn't how you want to live your life, they allow her to do this and then they take her out of that space and throw her in public to be humiliated and harassed. These were a sheep without shepherd. They were not being protected. They were not being cared for. They were not being defended. They were not being taught. They were not being loved. And his heart broke for them. And I began to think, Do our does our heart break when we see people who are, should be protected and they're not? Do we have compassion when we see the sick and they are not being, like, they do not have the resources to get better? Does our heart break when we see the abuse of people within the church? Because it has to be more than just feeling bad. But it has to be this deep, internal, gut-wrenching emotion that not just desires and intends for better, but proactively advocates for better. Because Jesus just didn't see these people and say, I feel, I, 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 I feel bad for you. <coughs> but he met them in their need. He met them in their circumstances. He defends them, but his heart breaks for them first. And then I began to think, when was the last time we felt this compassion to those who are spiritually lost and hurting. 
So really, when did I feel this kind of compassion, this gut-wrenching move to tears, heartbroken, to the hurting, to those who are lost? I felt it the other day when I was talking to Michael. Because she's so close, I'm just like, oh. You know, she just really is really seeking the Lord, but she's just not quite sure. Right, she's yeah. just right there. It was it was really amazing. Just to see the her her hunger, right? Yeah. And I got the opportunity to, to talk to her about it, which is awesome. Yeah. But she's still in that uh, she's not all in yet. I pray that we would be a gathering of people whose heart would break and hurt for those that we encounter who we know that we can pray and love and care for and invest in them in the long haul to know that if they never step foot in a church, if they in their lifetime, in their lifetime of relationship with us, do not accept Christ, our heart will still break and then we will pray and then we will love. Because it has to be more than desire and intention. It has to be an act of love and caring and heartbrokenness. And we have sterilized the power of the gospel when we do not preach it in its full entirety. That it's not just of grace and mercy. It is of truth. It is of love. And it should break our hearts when we encounter people every day who do not know and we want them to know. And if you can't think of a single person in your life who does not know Jesus, then I would say there's some fundamentally challenging things we should talk about. When Christians only hang out with Christians, we've missed the point. When Christians only talk to Christians, We've missed the point. Like I was talking on the phone with my friend today. Um, and she said, why do you like being bivocational? Why do you choose it? And I said, five days of the week. Like just because it's my job, I get to go and I get to interact and love all these different types of people. And I love it. I love that these people in the span that I will work with them, they might never go to church, come to a church gathering of any sort. But I am the church because the Spirit of God dwells within me and that I can preach and I can teach and I can believe for their healing. That they don't need to come into this space, but they can just encounter it in relationship with me. And I get to do that bivocational because when I was a pastor, I met with people who came into the church. They had some point of desire to be there, so they were there. So that's where I met them. But I started to lose touch with every person who will never come into that space. Because I wasn't going out there. Because I was in this space. And I pray that we will become a gathering of people where this is great and I love this and there is fruit from this. But we will take this and we will go out there and we will love people well 
and that our hearts will break for them and that we will love them and we will faithfully invest in them with no expectation of return other than the fact that they will experience Christ in us because we love them tangibly. We love them practically. And we have grace for their season because God has so much grace for ours. We have grace for their journey because God has so much grace with ours. And that we would bring healing by bringing love. We would bring healing by bringing faith to every person that we get to encounter. (coughs) And then we move on these last two sets of verses. And we might hang out here for a little bit because this really got me going on some things. But, you know, whatever. I'm sassy, so that happens. But it talks about, then he said to his disciples, the the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, referring to himself, therefore, to send out workers into his field. And this scripture highlights the most important work that every Christian is called to with the acknowledgement that even Jesus knows that there is a lot of work, but not enough people to do it. And it makes me think that this work that he is saying, this harvest, which is work, is important work because this work is kingdom work. And this is why it makes sense, is one of the common things that I see that we talk about as pastors in church culture is this idea that people come to get served and leave. That church is where you come, get what you want, and then exit accordingly serving that gathering but somehow people think that church is just showing up and leaving and not contributing of time resources mostly time and gifts because kingdom work is discipleship and we are all called to disciple kingdom work is caring for your family it is caring for your friends it is caring for your neighbors it's caring for your community It is caring practically. And then kingdom work is stewarding the things that the Lord has given you. Whatever that looks like, your resources, the things that you have, kingdom work is a stewardship. And it is important work. And Jesus is acknowledging that there is a lot of work, but not enough people. And it reminds me of this idea of, it's called, I think it's called the Pareto Principle, and it's where 20% do 80% of the work. And that is a common thing we actually see in church volunteerism, is 20% of an entire church body will do 80% of the work, while the rest don't participate and actively engage in it. And I then I begin to think it literally reminds me of like kingdom work being a perpetual group project, Like, you remember group projects in high school where, like, you have a group project and you just know that if your group project was five people, one, maybe two people are going to do the bulk of the work. And and if you were like me who did bulk of the work, you would just want the other people, like, just show up and don't mess it up for the rest of us. (laughs) Anybody else? Like, there was a stress of, like, group project. It meant that when they don't do the work, everybody else has to do more work because they're making up for the people who are not working. When there's a great harvest and great work to be done and not everyone shows up, the issue is that the people who do show up and serve will do more because the others are not participating. 
and I don't want to be stuck in a perpetual group project because I refuse to build a church culture where we have to do more because people are just showing up to get served. And I do not believe that is what the church is about because there is a lot of work. It is important work and there are not enough people doing work. And so Riley and I talked, it'd be like if we had a thousand acres of wheat to harvest. I mean, I am not a farmer, but I can imagine a thousand acres is a lot of acres and harvesting a thousand acres of wheat could not be easy. It will take time. It will take workers, but it's like you have a thousand acres of wheat that you have to harvest. You have a hundred thousand workers, but you know what? We're only going to have only 20% of that 100,000 work. So a thousand acres and out of the total people who can work, we're only going to do 20%. That would be ridiculous, but that is church culture and that has to stop. And I will, and that sounded heavy handed, but I, I do not want to build that culture. I do not want to build a culture that perpetuates that church and community is about getting up and just getting served. It is a participation because kingdom work is important work and it requires participation. It re requires us all serving. It requires us all participating. Because this idea of kingdom work being a perpetual group project is no fun. Because the 20% that carry the weight of the 80 will burn out. Because we will be functioning and carrying a heavier load. But when we all distribute the weight, we all get to do it together. One of the most common questions I get asked about house church is, do you set it up by yourself? No. Do people leave and your house is still a mess? Oh, heck no. <laughs> do you hire childcare? No. We're down there. We hired Olivia for a bit. But we're down there. Do you have to make all the food? No. We all bring something to contribute. And so this idea, and even Jesus says, the harvest is great. That means there is plenty of work to do. There's just not enough people to do it. And, he, and the question is, why do you think Jesus used the imagery of harvest work? Of all the things. It could be like, there's plenty of fish in the sea, but not enough fishermen. There's plenty of sheep in the field, but not enough shepherds. That would actually wouldn't be an accurate analogy. But why do you think he said harvest? There's an urgency to harvest. You only have, you can't do it forever. Yeah. Like, you know, there's, it's right now. It's this couple days before it rains. If you don't get it in, then it's gone. It's overnight. Yeah. I think, I think that's part of it. Urgency. It's urgency. And because it's like, to harvest is to get something wonderful. Right, like you're not just going to like to work. You're not just going to go move rocks. You are getting the thing that brings life and sustains you. And right, it's like there's like a celebration at harvest, mm -hmm. you know. And it's also something you grew. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. you, you planted it and took care of it as it grew. Yeah, you invested in it. Yeah. So what 
is the harvest in this context? What is Jesus talking about? Because he's actually not talking about actual fields of wheat. Who is the harvest? What is the harvest? People. People. There's an urgency to live and preach, teach the gospel because every day people are dying and not knowing who Jesus is. There is an urgency. There is a reward. When we see somebody that we love, accept Christ and journey with them, with them as they journey in their relationship with Christ, there's this wonderful reward of encouragement, of celebration. But a wheat stock, and again, I'm not a farmer. I think it's called a stock wheat stock. Perfect. It comes from a seed. I know that's not profound, but a seed grows, but somebody had to plant the seed and take care of the seed so that it can grow to be ready to be harvested. That our relationship and interaction with people, we are planting seeds left and right. And when we love them and when we speak truth to them and when we care for them, we are watering that seed. And we might not be the one to harvest and see the fruit of their salvation, but we participate in the process of their growth. And what I want to say here is that there are so many people, I know too many people, so many people who do not know who Jesus is. What does that mean? So there's this urgency half of the population that they can't preach and teach and lead. But this is what I struggle with even myself. And this is the thing that as like yesterday was spent a lot of times just weeping. Lindsay knows because I went to her office and cried about it. But there is so much work to be done. And we need everyone on deck. We need every person who says they are a Christian to go and preach the gospel. Because there will be people that you can preach and teach the gospel too, and they will receive it better from you than they would from me. And you would be responsible to discipling them. You would be responsible for their spiritual growth because they can better receive it from you because they have relationship with you. This is the church is that we are not just this holy space for holy people, but we must go out into our community and preach and teach the and for the generation to come. For the Ellas, the Rebeccas, the Kyrie, the Noras, for all the Winneries. Our yeses, and not just our as in women, but us collectively seeing that the harvest is plentiful, so let's equip everyone. As allowing the next generation to see what it looks like for men and women to co-labor together in this work. And this is what I'm passionate about is equipping people to go and preach and teach and live out the gospel, to disciple people, to see the harvest, to reap the harvest, because there is plenty. But the workers are few. And if that does not heart-wrenching in our gut, break our heart, we stay up at night, Weeping over the fact that we will interact with so many people who do not know. And we will have so many opportunities to love them. Not bring them to church. 
as if only the pastor can lead them to salvation. But love them by knowing if their family is in need and meeting that need. Love them by loving their children. Love them by listening to them and being a good friend. It is not complicated in how we reap this harvest. And we need everyone on deck to do it. Because the reality is, like, the harvest is urgent. There's a reward. It starts with a seed. But what a harvest work is, is harvest work is hard, hard work. Anybody personally know a farmer? Owns their own farm or works in a farm? What is that, babe? Give me more experience about Anybody, actually, tell me more about farming. Because what I know is that it is all day. It is all seasons. That's, I just know there is no off time for farmers. I have a friend who's a dairy farmer in eastern Washington. We had a bunch of snow this last year, and he was out on the tractor, like, 24-7, just making sure his cows got food. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, there's, or, like, when, when something's on, like, raspberries are on, mm-hmm. there's no, it's all, it's 24-7 until it's done. Yeah, it's the it's the early mornings, the late nights, the monotonous little tasks you have to do. Like when it's freezing outside, you still have to give your cows water, mm-hmm. walking the hose out afterwards, and making sure you empty your taps, your pipes don't freeze. It's all the little things that you have to do, that you need to do to make sure that cows have water. So it's like big and like big and little things mm-hmm. all, the and little, all the time. All the time. Rebecca. She has grass around plants at home. Mm-hmm. She is out in the morning, unless it's going to be raining that day. She just lets the rain water it. Mm-hmm. But if it's not going to be raining, she goes out there in the morning because it's nice and cool in the summertime and waters them. Mm-hmm. And then at night, when it's still and it's nice and cool, she waters them again. So it's intentional. It's knowing. It's working. It's hard work, period. Harvesting, if in the context of harvest, it is hard. But it is worthwhile because we are all meant to do it. We are all meant, when you are a believer, you are meant to participate in this hard work. Because this hard work is urgent, this hard work is rewarding, and this hard work is an investment. But it awakens a part. Every farmer that I know freaking loves being a farmer. They have no other desire in the world than to be a farmer. My friend's husband is a farmer, like a part-time farmer. He would love nothing more than to own his own farm. But he works on someone else's farm. And all he's ever wanted his entire life was to be a farmer. His, like, that is his joy. And there's a joy and a purpose that awakens in us when we participate in the harvest, in the work of the harvest. Because it awakens something in our soul that we were always meant to do, which is to engage, which is to disciple, which is to baptize people, which is to participate in this gathering, to go and preach the very good news that radically changed our life. I have, in my experience of being a Christian, I have found 
very little that gives me more joy than telling people about Jesus. And not in the way that makes people want to walk the other way, but by simply investing in relationship with them. Like I remember when I worked at Costco, most the majority of my incredibly great conversations was pulling and pushing carts in the rain because you would go out in twos and you would walk to all these corrals and you would just talk and people would bear their soul and I would ju- I would just have opportunities to listen and it's not complicated but it's it's listening it is praying for them it is loving them it is heart it is participating in the harvest and I want us to focus our takeaway in this question of what does it look like for us to participate in kingdom work? What does it look like for me? What does it look like for you? And I want to repeat again, it doesn't have to be complicated. It could be, I'm going to walk across the street and get to know my neighbor. 